you know, I think when it comes to addiction, right, and I say this often, I think we focus too much on the worst day and we forget the first day that, that we show our children, we educate them on addiction in its worst stage. Um, and we don't talk about the first stage. Uh, you know, I grew up in a home that suffered because of alcoholism. My father still struggles. Um, so at a young age, I knew there was something wrong with Miller Lights by the way it was presenting within my father and, and my family's, my mom and dad's marriage. Um, so, so genetically, you know, I think I was predisposed, but I also had to deal with the trauma of living under that roof of, with an alcoholic. Um, and back then it was a little more acceptable. You know, it was, it was a little more acceptable for to be a 15 year old kid going out on Fridays and Saturday nights drinking as many beers as possible. motivational speaker, former NBA player, and wellness advocate, Chris has founded three organizations that provide programs and services with a goal of overcoming setbacks and navigating life's challenges, which is absolutely amazing. And first of all, congrats on 15 years of sobriety this past August. That's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit to start in case anyone doesn't know a little bit about your background in the NBA and what that journey was like. That journey was difficult, right? I, I, you know, the reflection on those years, um, they're not always easy. I, uh, you know, I was, I was struggling severely at that time with substance use, with dependency. Um, so, you know, every time I ran through the tunnel or every time I put on the Celtics jersey, um, I knew that it was coming to an end. So, so, you know, it was really hard to enjoy it, to kind of soak it all up because I had this secret that I was living with that I knew at some point I wasn't going to be able to keep a secret any longer. You've been very open and honest, written a book and talked about um, the struggles that you had with addiction. When, when did it start? How did you hide it, as you talked about a little bit earlier? You know, I think when it comes to addiction, right, and I say this often, I think we focus too much on the worst day and we forget the first day. That, that we show our children, we educate them on addiction in its worst stage. Um, and we don't talk about the first stage. Uh, you know, I grew up in a home that suffered because of alcoholism. My father still struggles. Um, so at a young age, I knew there was something wrong with Miller Lights, by the way it was presenting within my father and and my family's my mom and dad's marriage um so so genetically you know i think i was predisposed but i also had to deal with the trauma of living under that roof of, with an alcoholic um and back then it was a little more acceptable you know it was it was a little more acceptable for to be a 15 year old kid going out on fridays and saturday nights drinking as many beers as possible. Um, but once I entered the world of cocaine at Boston College, I knew it. I knew it was a different world. I knew it was a secretive world. I knew that I couldn't disclose what I was struggling with at 18 years old. So from the age of 18 to 32, I lived in silence. You know, I lived in my own prison 
uh, emotionally and mentally and physically towards the end. Um, so, you know, people often say to me, how could you hide, you know, uh, an Oxycontin addiction that was that extensive? How could you hide a heroin addiction that, that was, it was that extensive? Uh, you work really hard to hide it. You know, my whole day was spent, my thoughts, my actions were to keep this a secret from the people who love me. That is something you really big and heavy. I feel like that weighs with you, especially in college when you're mm. already, you know, you're playing sports, you're trying to get through school and then you're dealing with that too. You know, what were some of those challenges like being a athlete, a student and dealing with that? And how do you feel like that affected you going through college and during into MBA? You know, I think both universities had two different approaches. I think Boston College was more of a punitive approach when it came to drug use or, or failing drug testing. Um, Fresno State was very therapeutic. Like they wanted to introduce me to as much avenues as possible to get sober. Um, you know, for me, you know, I look back on both moments. I think they both did their job, but but I believe in the, the latter. I believe in what Fresno State did for me, um, introducing me to whether it's IOP, therapy, you know, AA meetings, NA meetings. Um, you know, I was introduced to all of that at a pretty young age on, on the campus of Fresno State. What, what was it when you you know, finally went into rehab and what was it that, that you said this, this was the time, this was, this is it, you know, it's the start of it, I guess, more so. I think it was really important for me to find a level of acceptance of, of my failures and, and, and where my life had, had gone and what it has become. You know, once I, was able to be honest enough and, and, and raw enough to, to really look at my world. Um, you know, it was easy when I was 27 years old and I could tell people that I still, I played in the NBA or I just got back from Europe or, or, or Asia. Um, but at 32, it was gone, right? There was nothing left. It was just pain. It was just wreckage. Um, and obviously my defense mechanism was to try to suppress that and keep that away from me. Um, but there was a time in treatment where I, I sat back and I, I took a look at my life. And, and at that point, there was only one way to go. And that was, that was up. I always think with every setback in life or any challenge you face in life, oftentimes, as bad as it may be, you can find these silver linings. And I really think that you've taken your story and your struggles and your pain and turn it into something really good with your three organizations that you've created. And now you're speaking to million children, you know, kids, youth um, that could also be struggling with addiction, substance abuse, wellness, self-esteem issues. Tell us a little bit about Heron Talks mm -hmm. and what your mission is with that. You know, we've been doing it for probably 12 years, right? I started, um, it was unexpected. It wasn't in the plan. Uh, you know, there was a local teacher here who offered me a Dunkin' Donuts gift card to speak to her class. And, you know, I've been going to classrooms and schools for the last 12 years because of her, right? It was, 
happened very organically. Um, but in the first stage of my, of my speaking, I would go in and I would tell my story. Um, and then I realized pretty quickly, you know, as powerful as my story is, it's not enough. Right. And, and, and I think that again, to touch on it, the majority of the focus was on how bad it got, not where it began. Um, so I pivoted, I pivoted in like year seven and started talking about the first day and the emotion and the self-esteem around this, um, the family dynamic. Um, and I saw a huge shift in students and, and outreach and kids seeking help or wanting help or willing to share their story and not talk about mine. So, you know, a uh, couple of million kids over a decade later, um, you know, it's something that I'm unbelievably proud of and it's, it's where I want to be. Right. So I've, you know, I get opportunities to speak to, you know, the, uh, the Texans when JJ Watt was there, right. Or, or the, or the Patriots or the Packers. Um, but the truth is I want to be in front of kids. I, I believe that's where I can make a difference. That's where I believe I can kind of allow them to take a look at their life and who they're becoming at a teenager. I love how you said that because we often talk about you're going in to make an impact, but you can clearly see from how you're sharing that you're impacted as well. Totally. I mean, I love it. I have, I have an unbelievable vantage point, right? I see tears, right? Like that's, that's, that's what people don't see from my vantage point. You know, people don't see the little girl or the little boy wiping their face or putting their head down. Um, you know, all the kids see kids who in the middle of my talk exit, walk out upset. Um, but I have a great vantage point that um, I know that kids need it. You know, they need it. Um, you know, I think when it comes to our kids, I think we focus on academics and athletics. I think there's so much emphasis on a young teenager, on the athlete he's going to become or the student they are. And I, and I think we forget about them socially. I think, I think we need to challenge our kids socially and emotionally. And I think, you know, when I walk into a school, um, you know, that's the goal. The goal is for them to leave the school, uh, leave the presentation and, and, and think about their mom and dad and think about their little brother and sister and think about the kid they're becoming. As you talk to these students, the first thing that comes to my mind is like you know, a lot of like, you know, popular students or stigmas around like who kids are and, mm. you know, drinking is cool. How do you break down that stereotype that it's not worth it uh, mm. and they it can lead you to really bad things down the road? You know, I can only use my experience, right, my history and from a very young age and, and I'm transparent with kids and I share this with kids um, from a very young age that being teenage years i used to go out with my buddies after football games after basketball games and we'd be in this lonely little basement drinking together with all of our childhood friends but at the end of the night i always had a couple of friends that never drank and kids who refused to smoke marijuana um and at the end of the night i would look at them and i would say to myself on my walk home to my mom who's wait, who's waiting up for me um you know how come those kids don't have that walk? You know, how, how come those kids can function the way they function in that setting and they don't have to change themselves? 
And, and the truth is, at the end of the day, I was the basketball player. I was the basketball star. I was the performer in front of everyone. But the truth is, at a young age, I couldn't hang out with four kids I've known since I was four years old. And, and, and as a parent, as a parent, you know, that's really all I want for my children. You know, that's all I want is for my kids to have an anchor and to be okay with being themselves amongst their peers. Um, but unfortunately, uh, you know, we kind of blow through these years. And, and, and I see it every day at Heron Wellness. I see parents who show up with their children, adult children, and, you know, who are now struggling either had to get out of college or after school. Um, and they wish they did it different. You know, they wish they had a different approach. If they could do it over, they would do it differently. And, and you know, that's the, that's the narrative. That's the conversation that I'm trying to have with these kids that it's okay to take a look at who you are at 15. You know, it's okay to kind of do a little self-evaluation of who you're becoming and some of the decisions you're making. Chris, I... I have a 21 and 22 year old. Um, so, you know, in, in kind of the midst of some of that, but yeah. I think what you said earlier that, that really struck me is the emphasis on education, the emphasis on athletics, the emphasis on you need to know at 15, what you're going to do with the rest of your life versus that social aspect of it. Yeah. I think that's where we've fallen short. I think that's when it comes to this, I think that's where we've fallen short. And, and, and listen, you know, my son is 25, my daughter's 22, and I have a 15-year-old. And, you know, the, the question is always why. Mm -hmm. Like, I, let's just sit down and let's understand your why. Let's understand why you have to engage in this behavior, make these decisions, make these mistakes, take this risk. I just want to know why. Mm -hmm. And if we understand why, then we can work, we can work from there. But when you look at kids all across the country who come in, you know, on a Friday night, the first time drunk, intoxicated, high, the, the first question with mom and dad in the living room is where did you get it? Who were you with? That's true. What did, what did you do? How much did you do? Parents don't ask why. Mm -hmm. I love too that, you know, it's not only is it your speaking program to youth, but it's also the Heron Project, which you created. And you're, obviously it affects not just the person that's doing it, but people around them, the family, the parents. Speak a little bit to the Heron Project mm -hmm. and how you're helping families navigate these sins. You know, the Heron Project all stems from uh, the Mullen family. You know, Chris Mullen and his wife, when he was playing for the Indiana Pacers, uh, made a decision to pick up their phone and find find a place for me, you know, find the center that will will take me and allow me to start the process of healing. And I watched very closely what that gift has done, not only for me but for my family. And I wanted I wanted to give that same gift. I wanted to be the person on the other line saying, "Don't worry, we have a place for you." And, you know, in the last 10 years, we've done it very quietly, um, but we've, we've given away almost $8 million worth of scholarships um, to people who can't afford treatment. Um, you know, we've, we've now kind of covered the whole spectrum with family support and education and prevention and the navigation of treatment for families. 
Um, the navigation yeah. of treatment. <laughs> yeah, that's that's no joke. Right? That's no joke. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you know, nobody because nobody preps for it, right? Like all of a sudden, you wake up one day and and there's your the the person you love most, and you just want them to be safe and go somewhere where they can have an opportunity to rebuild. Um, and, and no parents prep for that. No parents plan for it. It's not in the cards. Um, but you know, it's, you know, I often say it's, um, you know, there's no finish line to treatment, right? So some, for some people it takes, you know, a month, some people it takes 11. Um, and I was just given that gift by the Mullen family to spend 11 months in a treatment setting where I was able to rebuild not only myself, but my family. Without a doubt. I think my first job out of college was at Rogers Memorial Hospital um, and, and helping to open up their eating disorder center. Um, and I think th I think that navigation, because like you said, parents, parents don't prepare for it from an emotional standpoint and uh, then dealing with insurance and dealing with everything else that comes with it. I think that navigation piece is just something so special that you have. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know I just for years, I mean, and, and, and honestly, for me personally, my, my wife, you know, she was eight months pregnant and, and we had two children and her husband was just found on the side of the road with a needle in his arm, overdosed. And she's got to get Christopher and Samantha at school and she's, she's eight months pregnant. Now she's got to navigate the biggest decision of our family's life. Yeah. And, 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 and nobody, nobody preps to that. Nobody prepares for it. And, you know, that's why at Heron Project, we've set up internally um, a group of people that kind of take that baton and, and help the family with that process. Wow. What is some of the messaging, I guess, to the kids um, mm. for those listening that from a parent standpoint and from the kids themselves that they can take away from this conversation? Well, I, I think oftentimes family is, is kind of left out of this talk, right? Like I walk into a school and it's the drug talk. So immediately, you know, their thought process is some guy's going to tell us how bad drugs are and, and what drugs are going to do to our life. I, I think what kids need to understand is what, it, what they do to families. You know, and, and, and how quickly a family can change and how how impressionable a younger brother is or a younger sister. Um, I think when you when you kind of downshift and bring it to their level into their world, I think they can identify. And we've just we've done a horrible decision at, at painting that portrait of addiction. And, you know, if I ask kids to walk into my presentation and bring a picture of a drug addict, everybody brings the worst day. You know, nobody brings the 19 year old kid who's sitting in my treatment center right now, whose parents just flew in from 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 California to drop their child off. Um, nobody envisions that. And, right. and and the face of addiction, the face of addiction has changed. Right. I think we've done in the last couple of decades, I think we've done a better job at changing the face um, because so many people we're living in secrecy and now people are kind of willing to step out and share their struggles. So. I think sometimes the hardest thing is for youth to speak to their own friends. Mm. If they see something going wrong or that they're not, you know, doing right or struggling with, and it could be, you know, not just addiction, maybe it's someone struggling with mental health or 
teammate, your student in the seat next to you in, cl in the classroom, what advice would you give to those kids who see something and they just need the courage to speak up? You know, I, I think where we've gone wrong um, for years is uh, obviously the worst day, right? And then we use words in this such as rock bottom, right? It's, it's let's, someone has to fall completely on their face before we can help them up. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. Like early intervention is what will change this. People who step in early, help others early, introduce them to, to pathways to recovery early. That's what changes stuff. You know, that's what changes lives. And, you know, when I walk into a school and I, I talk about a friend who's struggling, um, you know, the first suggestion immediately is my goal is that they're going to walk out and tell someone that they're going to have the confidence to go to their guidance counselor and say, you know, not maybe it's me or maybe it's my best friend. Um, and again, when you think about it, their lives are so heavily evaluated just on their grades and on sports or arts. So like nobody's checking in with them saying, hey, right now you're like a C plus student on Friday nights, you know, or, or, or you're struggling on weekends. Um, and I think if we can shift and kind of present it that way, and then, then I think kids will be a little more inquisitive and, 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 and self-reflective that, that, that they would take a look at themselves. I think one of the things you said earlier, just the genetic dis disposition, you know, of it, we, we have, you know, a very good family friend who she is 20 years into the struggle. Um, and, you know, started with a cheerleading injury that, that spiraled because of the oxy that was, she was given, but it, there wasn't, there wasn't that genetic factor taken into account um, from I think the doctor's standpoint of looking at like, okay, what, what do we give for pain given the family's history? Yeah, absolutely. There's not enough of that, right? There's not enough. They're not curious enough and, yeah. and they don't, they don't dig deep. I, and, and, and again, I don't mean to offend anyone, but like, you know, you go to medical school for eight years and the question they ask you is what do you want to scale a one to 10 for pain? You know what I mean? Like that's, I'm going to tell you a 10 all day long. Um, if you're going to give me that option, I'm going to give you a 10. So you give me what I'm seeking. And, and I think that um, there needs to be a, 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 a more curious approach and family history approach to people. But, you know, the other thing is, too, is I see families like this every day that, you know, I have I have someone here right now who has four brothers and sisters who are very successful. Um, they have families, they have children, they have careers. They've done really, really well for themselves. But their brother, who's currently here, has not. And, and he's the only one in the family. He's the only one in the family that struggles. Um, so to me, that's the scariest thing about alcoholism and addiction, right? Is that is nobody knows who has it. You know, how, and I think, how... I think there's, oh, I was gonna say, I think there's the mindset, like if you're functioning, then it's not real. Sure. I, and again, that's, that's, that kind of plays into the narrative of rock bottom, right? Like if you're going to work every day and you're functioning, then you're so far away from the bottom. But the truth is 
you know, I see it all the time. People get sober at 40, 50, 60, and they say like, gosh, man, I missed out on so much, you know? And, 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 and again, it's for me, it's, we need to have more of a, of a why wait approach. Like why wait to get sober? Yeah. You know, sobriety recovery has enhanced every part of my life. It's made yeah. me better at every facet of my life. So, so why wait? I love that. Why wait? That mm. people should think about that in so many different areas of their lives. Totally. Uh, I just think you're doing so much wonderful work, obviously, with your story and your journey and now what you've transitioned and transformed it into. And I think with much favor comes great responsibility and with a great platform. Also, uh, you have a, a kind of a responsibility to do good with it. So we love to ask all of our guests, what does athletes doing good mean to you? Oh, what does athletes <laughs> doing good mean to me? Um, it's becoming whole, right? It's it's like using, like you said, it's 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 about using your platform to um to heal, to help, to take care of others, to inspire, to empower. Um, you know, I uh, I have this amazing platform because I play basketball in a driveway more than most kids. That's really what it comes down to, right? I was in the driveway playing, shoveling, to shoot baskets when most kids were not, and um. And, and it's given me this incredible life and it's it's taught me many many lessons as as an adult as a father the level of commitment that it takes to become an athlete and uh and i've been able to make that applicable into this world of recovery and uh and i'll never lose sight in recovery you know i think the the pillar that matters most in recovery is is helping others right and and uh i'll continue to do that because I, that's that's what keeps me up well, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate your time, well, your knowledge, your perspective, um, and continue doing great things. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks.